Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. I greeted you with the normal greeting. Soon, I'll be able to greet you with the traditional Christmas greeting of the Byzantine Church, only I'm going to hold off on that until Christmas actually comes around. The great mystery occurs. The invisible God made visible, the great self-emptying, the kenosis, the condescension, the divine condescension. We have many ways of theologically describing this Christmas event, including the nativity of our Lord in the flesh, because it is a time, an event that is packed, just packed with meaning. It is the great mystery. And leading up to that, as we've been saying all along these last several weeks here in Light of the East, are what I call touchstones, little touchstones or stepping stones towards the great event. And in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, two of those that we have are on the two Sundays prior to Christmas. This Sunday is one of those. Next Sunday will be the other one, although next Sunday is a bit unusual or special because it combines two things. It will be the eve of Christmas and also that second Sunday of preparation, in other words, the Sunday before Christmas, which in the Eastern calendars is the Sunday of Christ's ancestry, sometimes called the Sunday of the Fathers of Christ. But today, the second Sunday before Christmas, is the Sunday of the Holy Forefathers. Now, this commemorates all the holy people of the Old Testament who completely trusted God and waited for the coming of the Messiah. So this would be the prophets and the great forefathers, such as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It goes all the way back to when the covenant was first established by God. And imagine these people for generations had to wait and anticipate the coming of the Messiah. We, we here today, and for the last thousand years, have lived in the time of the realization of the Messiah, that the Messiah has come. Isn't it amazing? What an incredible privilege we have. Just think about it. For thousands of years, people of faith had to wait and long for the Messiah. We live in a time when the Messiah has come. 
and we look forward to when he will come again. So this Sunday commemorates all those great people of the Old Testament, especially the prophets who foretold, who waited patiently. Next Sunday will be the genealogy. In other words, it will commemorate those members of Christ's bloodline, his genealogy, who became the carriers of the Messianic promises. In other words, it was basically his family. Just as we have family that gets together during the Christmas season and many festival times, so too do we look at Christ's family. Only the significance of that, and that'll be next Sunday, the significance of that is that we see how God worked through even what we might call today dysfunctional members of the family or family members that were unusual in that whole lineage, people that did not actually belong to the bloodline, but through them, the bloodline was continued. In other words, the plan of salvation, the way the Messiah would come from the house of David, from a royal lineage, that was continued even through people who were not particularly part of the bloodline. And this is interesting because it shows how God was really committed to the unfolding, the accomplishment of his long-awaited plan of salvation, that nothing would stop it. Even unusual figures, unusual births, or unusual little blips in the genealogy, nothing would stop it. He would use things. He would use things that were out of the order to bring about his order of salvation. And it's very significant, as always, the liturgical calendar and our immersion in these events is very, very meaningful, and it's very relevant. That's why we celebrate them, why we should make sure we're getting to church and observing and really immersing ourselves into what the church is presenting. For example, today, where we celebrate the holy forefathers, the prophets and the holy people, the righteous ones of the Old Testament, who were promised the Messiah, who had to wait for it, who entered into the covenant with God. The reason why that is relevant to us today, and actually a number of reasons, but one of those reasons is that the time that we're living in now, I believe is a time that has in many ways lost its sense of patrimony, the importance of that. Maybe it's because so many families are broken today, that sense of a very intact family that gets passed down from generations where there's unbroken lines of our lineage, that is becoming more and more rare today. And we have less and less, in many ways, I think less and less respect for that which came before us, those that came before us, because we're living very much in a very, very kind of in the moment sort of style of faith and of life. Maybe that's because of things like iPhones and computers and so on. Maybe, I don't know. It could be that those things are morphing our sense of time, where we live only in the moment. We don't have that sense of what came before us and how we're a part of a continuity of past, present, and future. This is the beauty of liturgy. Liturgy helps us to transcend those barriers of time so that past, present, and future become one. But it gives us that appreciation of what came before us, what is happening now, and what is to come. So past, present, and future becomes one, yet at the same time remains distinct in a great mystery that only liturgy, you know, the life of the church, can immerse us in. But in the meantime, in our day and age, we're losing that sense of of past, of patrimony, of who came before us, how things came to be, how we came to be where we are right now. And in this case, how did the plan of salvation finally come to realization. What came before it? How was it prepared? What was the process? What was the rhythm? How do we look at the Old Testament now? In fact, we look back into it in terms of Christ. We see that 
all of the great Old Testament figures that we celebrate today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar were types of the archetype. Christ is the archetype, and he was hinted at or foreshadowed in all of the types. In other words, these great figures of the Old Testament, the entire Bible really, including the Old Testament, that's right, is really about Christ and his blessed mother. The reason I say that is because the Old Testament, especially the way we read back into it, especially liturgically, is just full of allegorical typology. In other words, these great figures in the Bible were models, foreshadowings of Christ and his mother. Even the events, such as the event of the burning bush, where God spoke to Moses. He was present in a bush that was on fire, yet that bush was not consumed. This is a perfect allegory for the mother of God, who had the fire of the divinity within her, within her very womb, yet she was not consumed. So, in the events, not only the people, but the events that happened in the Old Testament were all allegories, are for all foreshadowings of this one great mystery that happened between the Holy Spirit Christ, the second person Trinity, and the Blessed Mother. So the Trinity and the Blessed Mother were involved together in this great mystery that we call today Christmas, or the birth of Christ. Both were involved in this, and yet both God and the Blessed Mother, God and humans, a human person chosen by God, are all foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And this is why we read back into it by commemorating many of these ancient fathers of the church, these righteous men and women of the church and of the Jewish tradition, the biblical tradition. I think that in looking back at these figures, not only do we rediscover a sense of patrimony of what came before us, but we also, I think, deepen our experience of Christmas, that we know it's not just about a holiday. It's not just about a feeling. It's not just about getting together. It's about actually looking at, really participating in, immersing ourselves in this entire plan of redemption that God had in his foresight. You know, the church teaches us that even from the time, even before the time of the fall of Adam and Eve, God was already designing his plan of salvation. He was already loving us back into redemption before the thing really even started to unfold. This shows the goodness of God. And this feast day, this time of Christmas, is a time that we turn our thoughts to that immense act of love on God's part, that immense divine loving foresight, that immense plan of redemption, that great mystery where this invisible God would become visible. And he would, first of all, drop hints about himself, foreshadow this great mystery through the great people of the Old Testament that we celebrate today. And all those that we'll look at next Sunday. As I mentioned, next Sunday is a little bit special because it combines Christmas Eve with the celebration of the Sunday before Christmas. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in greater detail when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. 
Why does St. Nicholas deliver gifts under the cover of night? Well, that tradition began in my hometown of Patara in Asia Minor when I came to the help of a destitute man who had three grown daughters. He was so poor that he could barely feed them. Because he was so desperate, he was tempted to sell them into slavery. Then I remembered the words of Jesus who said, When you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. And so I put together three bags of gold coins and tossed them through the window at night to help them. That was the first of my midnight visits. And that's the reason to this very day, even when I'm dressed as Santa Claus, I still deliver gifts under the cover of night. May the same love, joy, and peace that the angels proclaimed on that first Christmas animate your own heart to give hope to those most in need. For Christ is born. Glorify Him. <laughs> You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loyup and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. Here we are, two Sundays before Christmas. As we've been saying, these Sundays are significant as they immerse us into this great plan, this very long, thought-out plan that God unfolded in many mysterious ways. Some ways very natural, as we talked about the lineage of Jesus Christ. In some ways, he stepped outside of the natural order to bring about this order of salvation, of redemption. The period before Christmas itself is called the pre-festive period, and it is celebrated for five days, from December 20th to the 24th. Now, in the liturgical books for the Byzantine Church, a strict fast is prescribed for the eve of Christmas. In other words, no meat or dairy products. And this reminds us of the hardships and the privations of Mary and Joseph before the nativity. Imagine them on a donkey or walking all the way to Bethlehem and the weather and the hardships that they had to endure. But also fasting, the ascetical disciplines, as we have been talking about these last several weeks on Light of the East, are part of our own purging, our own preparation, our own purification. And so we really ratcheted up the day before the actual event. And also characteristic of Christmas Eve, this fasting day before Christmas Day, are the services called the Royal Hours. Now, they are liturgical devotion, and they're celebrated only three times a year, on the Eve of Epiphany, on Great Friday, and on the Eve of Christmas. And they're called Royal because they were celebrated with great solemnity, and the royal family, remember they had emperors and royalty back then in the Byzantine Empire, they would attend 
and then generally they would stand during these services because that was another sign of knowing of a of attention and vigilance, but also a certain degree of repentance. And then later, the liturgy of Saint Basil is celebrated in the evening with vespers. And then also on the eve of Christmas in many homes, especially the Byzantine homes of Slavic origin, there was a marvelous meal. I think only <laughs> only Eastern Catholics can take a fasting penitential meal and make it sumptuous and delicious. <laughs> that meal is called the Holy Supper, and it is a meal that is very symbolic. It is several dishes, actually, and they're all very symbolic. Uh, just to name a few things in the supper is that, first of all, there's a, there's a candle, which represents the star of Bethlehem. The table has a white tablecloth on it with straw on it, representing, of course, the manger scene and the swaddling clothes. And then there is a bread representing, of course, Christ, who is the bread of life. And by the way, as you probably know, Bethlehem means the house of bread. Isn't that providential that Christ was born in Bethlehem, the bread of life born in the city known as the house of bread? The bread lies in the center of the table. Around it are other food items such as honey and garlic. And sometimes this is shared by each member of the family as they sit around the table and they offer each other a greeting. They might say something like this, and usually it starts with the father. The father starts things off, and the greeting is something like this. I greet you with the feast of Christ's nativity and wish that the infant Jesus shower upon you his choices, blessings. May we all live in health, peace, and happiness, and may we all celebrate another Christmas together. A blessed Christmas, Christ is born. And then each member of the family says something like that to each other while they partake of the garlic and the honey. Now, the garlic represents, well, the condition of sinfulness, the bitterness of life that Christ comes into. And Christ comes into that to heal that, to sweeten that, so to speak. And that's why we also eat the honey. Probably also helps to offset the garlic a bit. We also have a soup dish, which is made of dried mushrooms. Sometimes they use a little rice in it or even sauerkraut or sauerkraut juice. And again, if there's something sour, it has to do with symbolically expressing the sourness of life, you know, the sinfulness. In other words, the reason Christ came into the world to do away with the sinfulness, the sour part of life, the bitter part of life, and to bring that sweetness of redemption. And then there are different kinds of Items such as what's called a bobalki, which looks like a little dough ball, and sometimes it has a little poppy seed on it. And so several other items depends on each home, but those are some of the items that are enjoyed during the Holy Supper meal. Then, of course, there is caroling, and from there, then it's on to church for the all-night services, one of which is called the Compline Service, which has a resounding and inspiring prayer called God is with us. That's where they proclaim from Isaiah, God is with us, God is with us. And we recite and chant the verses from Isaiah, you know, chapter 7 and chapter 9, chapter 11, talking about the virgin that will be with child and the victory, wonderful counselor, all those marvelous things that we hear from Isaiah. We sing those in refrain as the priest, the deacon will exclaim, God is with us. And that becomes our refrain and the beautiful Compline or midnight, late night services. Then, of course, everything ends or culminates in the divine liturgy for Christmas with its appropriate verses. Now, as I mentioned, this Christmas Eve, this particular year, is a little bit special because it also is the same Sunday as the Sunday before Christmas, in which we celebrate the genealogy of Christ. As I mentioned earlier, the interesting thing about this genealogy is that it has figures in it from the Old Testament 
that might be a little bit strange to mention in the line of Christ's genealogy. And it also mentions in the scripture as we read it, the gospel that night, it mentions that Christ was made of 14 generations. It talks about the 14 generations. This is a symbolic number. The reason why this is significant for us today, why it is relevant, is because, as we know, Christmas, the holy days, yes, they are a time to get together with family. That's not what they're all about, but it is a nice aspect of it, to get together, because joy is something that is supposed to be shared. It's not really fully joy unless it is shared. First thing you want to do when something wonderful happens to us is want to tell somebody, especially those closest to us. So we get together, and of course we get together with family members, all of which have their own story, all of which were maybe all too aware of their own sinfulness or imperfections, and also of their beauty, of their glory. Some of my fondest memories growing up as a child were these get-togethers with relatives. There was something special about that around Christmas time, that whole aura, that whole atmosphere. And regardless of how our relatives were, I loved them all. They were all wonderful. But we all are well aware, because you know each other, all well aware of each other's little foibles and imperfections. And sometimes we'd poke fun at each other and have a good laugh over it. But in the end, I always associate Christmas with those particular people, my relatives, most of whom have passed on now. But through them, through them, and this is what I pass on to you, through our family members, however they are, God does reveal himself, just as he did through his own lineage, through people who were very likely people we would expect him to reveal himself through, to those who were very unlikely, at least in our minds. But God did reveal himself through them. And I have to tell you that one of the reasons that I am a priest today, one of the things that inspired me, was really the sum total of all those members of my family, and even friends, but in particular family relatives, who I could actually sense God would reveal himself through. I could sense that, that somehow they were like a little piece of this great many-faceted diamond we know is God's presence. And that was especially real to me during these holy seasons, like Christmas or like Easter. But I remember them well, and to this day I pray for them around Christmas time. I have fond memories Sometimes I've even gone back home to my hometown of Cleveland and walked through some of the old areas where we used to live, my relatives would live, and where the church used to be, and it's no longer there, unfortunately. But it's a very heartwarming thing for me to do, to look back at how, through my own lineage, God revealed himself, which eventually touched me enough to want to give my life to him in service as a priest. So as you get together with your families, make the liturgical cycles, the liturgical days, these observances work for you. Make the church's prayer, the scripture, work for you. By that I mean take the meaning, take the lessons, and apply that to your own life, your own family. Enjoy your families, even those who might have different kinds of quirks that might be irritating or whatever. But try to see how God reveals himself through them. What he's saying to you personally through them as we get together during these holy days and think about how God revealed himself through all the people in the scripture, through Christ's lineage, through the Holy Fathers, the forefathers that we celebrate today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, how God reveals himself through everything because this in fact is the essence, the meaning of this time of year, of this observance of Christmas. It is about how the invisible God made himself 
and continues to make himself visible through his own order of creation, and that includes human beings, however perfect or imperfect they are. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. of Advent with Father Dominic Legge. St. John the Baptist could be called the patron saint of Advent because he announces the coming of the Lord. And this is what we're waiting for in the Advent season. What is one of the key lines from John the Baptist, his advice to us? He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. This could be a very nice verse to meditate on throughout Advent. How can Christ increase in my life? Well, some very practical recommendations. Think of him more often. Very simple, think of Jesus. And then when you think of him, ask him for his help. Ask him to help you with whatever you are doing right now. Ask him to be present in your life. And then ask for the grace of humility. Ask to decrease so that as you decrease, Christ in your life will increase and then you will be a face of Christ to those around you. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!